What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of 100% Real with Micah and Jasmine. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about dysfunctional families. We're going to review Ad Astra, The Family Stone, and The Royal Tenenbaum. This is 100% Real. Okay, so you said you didn't like... <laughs> you didn't like The Royal Tenenbaums the first time you watched it? I thought that it was a little too drab and boring for me. I just, the, the plot wasn't moving for me. But also, so I've only seen this movie twice. It was one, literally last week, and then two, uh, like 2011. So I was like 20, 21 years old. I didn't really know much about film. So I just knew this was going to be a beautiful movie. And it was, it's just I couldn't stand the plot. Yeah. That's like Wes Anderson, though. Like, he is the king of the boring movie, but his movies are really stylistic, and so that's what pulls you in. And then the dialogue, like, this time, because I have actually seen Royal Tenenbaums, like, probably six or seven times, Um, and then this time that I watched it, I really paid attention to the dialogue, and I realized that he was writing in a really natural way, so... <clears throat> Let me just give a quick synopsis. So, The Royal Tenenbaums is about this unique, dysfunctional family of geniuses, so they say. Uh, the, fi- the father, Royal Tenenbaum, is married to Ethel Tenenbaum, and then they have three kids. One is adopted, Margot. And it's an all star cast. It's beautiful. It's a movie that's set in New York that doesn't really look like the New York that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. But when I was doing research, you know, Wes Anderson was like, no, this is for sure Harlem and all of the exteriors with the exception of one, um, are actual locations in New York. Um, like he filmed in Jersey, one of them or whatever. And he was inspired by another book called the Royal family or something like that. So that's where he got the inspiration for this film. So that is the Royal Tenenbaums. And it's honestly like, it's, I want to say it's like, my top 10 top 20 i'd say it's my top 30 favorite film okay that's pretty high up yeah yeah i think while watching this i realized how much of a blueprint this movie was for like the indie art house scene right and it's interesting is i was watching all these scenes you know he does it's unmistakable too that it's a wes anderson movie with mm-hmm. the, the title cards the, the the zooms a lot of old techniques that are just not used anymore the coloring even the audio recording i think he uses some kind of lo-fi feature mm-hmm and it's interesting because I was watching this and I'm like, this is kind of generic, you know, indie. And I realized, no, this guy invented it. It's kind of yeah. like how we hear an old genre and like, this is boring, but it's because, no, this is the originators of this. Yeah. So it was kind of unique to step back and be like, wow, this guy started this 20 years ago. And we see a lot of movies like this nowadays. We talk a lot about A24 and how they're making all these cinematic art house films. And I feel like Wes Anderson was the first guy to bring that to mainstream and make it more palatable for the average audience so yeah that's exactly what it is and you know like Sofia Coppola and Spike Jones they all fall they're all friends as well and been each other's wedding and etc so I think that he is like you know an orator in that sense and people do follow him like he's Whenever you see like that dead center, like <laughs> a lines film, you know that's like Wes Anderson all day, every day. Yeah, absolutely. You, I mean, 
even like a 30 second snippet, you know, oh, this is Wes Anderson. So it is, it's great that he has created this image for him. Mm-hmm. And um, it's cool. It's, it's definitely an accomplishment. There's, there's very few directors I feel like out there that we could watch a three second scene and know, oh, that's this guy, right? Yeah. So it's, I think that's a unique trait of his. So yeah. that being said, still think his plots are, <laughs> are lacking, but. Yeah, people have accused him of being like all style, no substance. But I think after I watch this movie again, that's just kind of not fair. Um, Just because there are certain lines in the film that tell you exactly what the movie is about. Like on the surface, it looks like this typical like indie film about people who are melancholy. But it's also like about how people deal with depression. And, you know, even though they have everything, they're considerably like they look wealthy, they look well off, they're intelligent, <clears throat> they're still dealing with depression and all of that. Like um, even Margot says um, when she's in the bathtub and her mom comes and she says to her, well, Chaz is coming to live with us because he's depressed. And she's like, so am I. And the mom's like, so are you what? <laughs> and then it was like, you know, the entire film is about them dealing with depression. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's a good point. I think there's a lot of underlying uh, aspects in there. I think... Um... Royal's character is maybe more it has that too but he's a little more oblivious to it he definitely is this wild card guy um but I think he has similar thoughts too he was depressed and he made went through great lengths to lie about you know his fake condition oh my god yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely the most problematic character but um he is the most problematic character that entire scene with him and um John Glover <laughs> that's another Danny, oh, Danny Glover oh man talk about problematic his father no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> that scene in the kitchen where he's like, yeah, cool. he's like, you want to drive? I'll give you a drive like you ain't never heard. And I was like, <laughs> I know. And he called him Coltrane. I, I was know. like, oh my goodness. Where he was like, Col- go? he's like, what did you say to me? He was like, we could drive. And I was like, he's lost his mind. But he's definitely <laughs> one of my favorite characters in the movie. And he's meant to be. He's just like out of this world. While everyone else is kind of monotone, he's big and larger than life. Mm. So. Yeah, I think without him, the characters just blend together too mm-hmm. much. You, you really, uh, the melancholy aspect is there, and it's just. But his character is just so outlandish; it yeah. just doesn't belong. Him and um, I was gonna say Patagonia. Pagoda. Oh, uh, Pagoda! Pagoda. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, speaking of problematic, yeah. can you like? So the date it. Oh my gosh! So Wes Anderson, there's been a number of video essays and articles and think pieces written about this, but I do want to like give a disclaimer that you know Wes Anderson is widely loved and appreciated, and we look up to him and aspire to his work. But when it comes to the way he portrays Asian characters from this film, all of his films, to um, the Darjeeling Limited as well, and most recent film, The Isle of Dogs, it's problematic, and I really wish he would expand, especially Isle of Dogs, like, all of the Asian characters didn't have subtitles, and they weren't speaking English, and that was incredibly I awful. I actually do want to watch it, but... Um... Yeah. Yeah, I've never got around to it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean... Pagoda's so he's char- problematic. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, Pagoda's character was literally just just stereotyping and it's just yeah i mean for that for the, that era i guess it was more acceptable in those early 2000s but mm-hmm. looking back now with our lenses and our knowledge now it's kind of like all right you know you're just making fun of this guy and i get that he has yeah, i'm sure they're close friends i'm sure that you know there was a role written for him in this way but it's just the way he was portrayed it just made me feel uncomfortable but, yeah and how is it like that in a movie about new york 
even in the scene when you saw Royal bring Richie to like that street yeah, game, the dogs. there is no people of color there, which is strange. That's why until I read an article that he said it was set in New York, I had no idea it was set in New York. And he was like, no, this is set in Harlem. I was like, what Harlem? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is interesting because I think he did build like a, a pseudo New York because you'll notice how there was nothing recognizable, and you mentioned this earlier, but there's nothing recognizable that made this overtly New York. So it almost seemed like we were in this bizarro uh, type of New York environment, which I think was unique. But I think with any city, there usually is diversity. It's just the nature of a yeah. city, just social economics. So yeah. it is unique to see that there's no other characters of color apart from two. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of anything else. Which was like, I was like, that's why it didn't, it didn't dawn on me. But speaking of the, the backdrop of New York as a character, I did like how, even though this film was like set in a different time, it wasn't jarring and in your face. You, at least personally for me, I know he had like the gypsy cabs and then like the green line and then everything was like broken down, but it didn't feel like costumey, you know? It felt like it blended in really well and it wasn't being used to influence the story. Because this is a story that could have been told during any time, you know? You always have like the father's coming down to the last quarter of his life and now he's trying to make amends with his family so this is a really good story but i love that the setting didn't influence that so you didn't feel dated when watching it yeah absolutely this is a movie that can't be dated because of that i think the term is anachronic i'm probably murking this anachronistic or something where you don't you can't really tell i think that a lot of yeah that's a it's a good filmmaking technique that i've seen specifically within this genre like the indie but yeah, you just kind of throw some things that can be a little confusing, like yeah. like Royal's uh, hospital equipment. He had like the <laughs> the compression thing. It's like that's from like the '40s, mm-hmm. and then like the cars are old. But I remember specifically trying to see like you know what's new, what's old, and there's some new things there. There was yeah. a, like new cars, but like the television sets were old. There was like no use of a cell phone, but one, someone had a, a beeper. Right, so right. In the '90s, so it's it's I do like that. It's yeah, it's, I never thought of that till right now. It never dawned on me where it's like it does make the film so much more replay value mm-hmm. because you don't feel like, oh, this is a 90s movie yeah. or this is an 80s movie. It's like, no, this is a story and you're just you know thrown in with these different things. I feel like, I'm trying to think of a movie that does do that well. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that is a really good example because it was set like in the 80s, but it didn't feel so 80s where you were like uncomfortable mm-hmm. and it didn't feel like uber nostalgic and it you know, wasn't making fun of the 80s or something like that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hate when they do I hate movies that do that. <clears throat> They're set in the 70s or 80s, and it's like, let's play the four songs from the 80s. Yeah. You, you know, we know what's up. <laughs> They're always playing, like, Aerosmith or uh-huh. like something like that. Right, right. But speaking of that, I really liked Chaz's apartment. That's also kind of what threw me off at the time period, because I was like, wait a minute, this is like a really sort of, like, modern-looking apartment. So. Yeah, it's like a Soho loft, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then yeah, the rest of the the set was not. Yeah, and right. then he was wearing those Adidas tracksuits, yeah. him and his son. So that's like you know. Uh huh. And I noticed too that it was red the entire movie except yeah. for the funeral. Yeah. He was the black. I was like, oh, that's a cool little touch. I like that. I love that attention to detail, and I thought it was interesting that he was wearing those tracksuits because when he was a kid. And you saw in his closet, he was so obsessed with wearing, like, three-piece suits. And so now with his kids, he was wearing that, which I thought, like, that mm. attention to detail, you can tell that every little thing Wes Anderson pays attention to. Um, like, the game closet, when, 
when Royal was discussing his plan with Pagoda to keep fooling his family, dead center in the screen was the game Risk. And he even had like the mouse go across so you would pay attention to that. So I thought that was like super, super cool. Wow. That. <laughs> yeah, I didn't catch that. That's yeah. funny. I was looking in that closet though for something. I just saw like normal games. Yeah. I must have missed that. Uh-huh. But yeah, no, he's a genius in that way. I think mm-hmm. in terms of moving the story along, all every set is designed yeah. for a purpose. Yeah. And yeah. That's what he's known for. I, I wrote this down. I think that it's almost like every scene could be a postcard. Just the mm-hmm. way the setting is. I think my favorite montage was actually when they were talking about um, Angelica. Houston's mm-hmm. character. I forgot her name. Ethelene. Okay. Ethelene. They were talking about her suitors and they just kind of went through all these different people. Yeah. And I loved it because it was like a little postcard. They had the guy and then the background that was, you know, whatever the guy was doing. Yeah. So whether it was like, I think they had like a scientist mm-hmm. or I don't know. A director. Mm-hmm. Someone was at the Antarctic. Yeah. Or, or something like that. They're all just, incredible. <laughs> right, right. These amazing people, but just the, the thought that was put in just for that one three second shot. Mm-hmm. Like everything was framed so well. So yeah. it's just... Yeah, I really like that too because the way you introduce a character is so important. And by having that sequence... Like, when I first saw this Wes Anderson movie, there was, like, some parts I was like, this doesn't forward the plot along, like, Chekhov's gun. If you're going to mention the gun, make sure it goes off in the movie. But watching it this time, I noticed that it was all important. Like, for example, that sequence of all of her suitors, it just showed, like, how, like, charming or, like, attractive she is as a woman and explains why Royal wants her back so badly. Like, he kept going on and on. He's like, you're incredible. And even um, Henry was saying, um, you know, he's like, I know that all of the men you've ever met were, like, super impressive. And he's like, I'm just this regular guy. And he's actually a landlord. It said it, like, when... Um, they first introduced his character and said it on the back that he was a landlord. Good thing I was paying attention. And um, that just shows like how impressive she is and why Royal wanted her. Mm. So that's why I thought that was super important that Wes did that. Okay. Uh, to the acting. What do you what was your impression of the performances? Um I thought hmm, it's hard to say. I think other than Owen Wilson, because I think Owen Wilson is just Owen Wilson, and he's just going to be him. And I like him in a lot of roles. He does a lot of Wes Anderson stuff, so I think that they're friends for life. But um, I'll tell you who was underutilized. I think Gwyneth Paltrow. I think that she is a great actress, and it seems like... They, I mean, I understand the role for her was kind of this... From what? Have you really liked her? I feel like I've seen... Was she in... Aaron Brockovich. Maybe I'm confusing her. No, it's Julia Roberts. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I want to say I saw her in a late 90s movie. I mean, I think most of the American audience knows her as the Iron Man. Yeah, uh, Pepper Potts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, she was good in that. Even though it's a superhero movie, I feel like she was good with the banter. Mm-hmm. But I want to say I saw her in a late 90s movie, and it was really good. I'll have to look this up. Was it wrong? Hmm? Was it a romance? Like a romance? Yes, it was, yeah. And I thought that she had a good display of, of action and like... Um, she was in dialogue. Shakespeare in Love. Okay. I saw her in that. Uh, critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Um, she was also in that movie with Michael Douglas, The Perfect Murder, Michael Douglas, and Viggo Mortensen. 
Ooh. Yeah. Really good like one. a little good Vigo. Based on a Hitchcock film. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I wanted a little bit more out of her, but at the same time, I know that that role was designed for this, you know, she was kind of cold. She was disconnected, obviously had a, a tough childhood because her, her dad never gave her attention, essentially, mm-hmm. and, and berated her, essentially, just for not, mm-hmm. not letting her pursue her dreams either, which is sad. Yeah, and definitely not encouraging her. He didn't encourage her or Chaz in the same way that he did Richie. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he took Richie to everything with him. But I think they also had a really interesting dynamic because at Richie's final performance, uh, Royal says to him, um, you know, I had, I was really, I had a lot betting on that. He's like, I was really invested. And he's like, I was also emotionally invested. So that just shows how like elevated he treats Richie. And I forget who's older, Richie or Chaz, but he didn't, every time it came to Margot or Chaz, he was critiquing them, even as kids. Like when Margot put on that play, he was like, it's just a bunch of kids in animal costumes and it was her birthday, and she was really disappointed. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So you never invited back, but mm-hmm. yeah, hundred percent. He could have said anything else, but he. I don't think he knew how to raise kids. That was his problem. He knew how to have fun, mm-hmm. but he never. And he shot Chaz and the, <laughs> the BB gun. The BB gun, and he wasn't playing by the rules. And yeah, yeah. Like, we're on the same team. Right. Like, there are no teams. Yeah. <laughs> Shockingly enough, but yeah, I think. I think I did, shockingly, like Gwyneth Parshall's character. And Wes Anderson tends to write his female characters like that, like this melancholy, like really sad. And they all do. Sophia Coppola is by Jones as well. And even her mom was the same way, like really subdued. And, mm. you know, I mean, her mom at least laughed a few times, but Margot didn't have a whole lot of reasons to laugh or smile until she was with Richie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. True, 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 yeah. Incest! Oh my goodness, yeah. I forgot about that part of the movie. So. Good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like you said, they're not real brother and sister, so. Yeah, and, you know, they, and Gene Hackman was like, yeah, you know, it's frowned upon, but, you know, hey, what else isn't frowned upon in this world? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's a reason. True story, true story. Right. Oh my gosh. Oh boy, so... Um, but yeah, I did love Royal's performance, even as problematic as he was. But he's from a different era, from a different time, completely. You know, he even referred to Ethel as his woman. And I was like, wow, I haven't heard that caveman language in a long time. Ah, possessiveness. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very cool. Yeah, yeah. Stiller was pretty good too. Surprising for him being in such a um, serious role. I think at that time when this movie came out, he wasn't doing a lot of these and he wasn't his over the top, like Starsky and Hutch type of humor. Mm-hmm. So. Zoolander. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So. <laughs> so that was like cool to see him like explore. And even though he played like a really frustrated character and <laughs> my favorite performance from him, um, 
when Roy is speaking to the kids about coming back and Ben Stiller like storms off and goes up the stairs and he's like, I want to see my grandson. And he goes, Ugh. And it's like, it's like a small thing, but I kept rewinding it over and over again the entire scene. He's like, don't give me that guffaw. <laughs> it was so great. So great. Oh my. Yeah. 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 I, I think there were, yeah, there were some spots, there were some highlights that were good for sure out of them it's just the whole vibe of the movie i feel like took me out of mm-hmm. enjoying the characters a lot it's definitely so. melancholy you gotta be in a certain state of mind i feel mm-hmm. to like get this you gotta also be kind of sad yourself <laughs> right right <laughs> should come with that pre-warning you know disclaimer <laughs> this is for sad folk only mm-hmm. that's right yeah oh my god they even like i took note of this but even down to the music, playing Beatles, like Hey Jude, um, when they were looking at the the home, and I was like, oh my god, this like folksy kind yeah. of vibe they've got going from the clothes to the music to even the color grading of the film. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sets the tone instantly. Mm-hmm. The description, the narration's great. I didn't even know it oh my was god. Alec Baldwin. Yeah. That was a surprise. The homie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a cool little thing. I, I did love, so it's interesting because I'm, I'm seeing the narration, I'm seeing the title cards, and it's kind of like, man, this has been done before. But I keep on reminding myself, no, this is, this, this is. is, yeah, this, this is, is the guy the, who did the, it. The boilerplate. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> so. Yeah, he mm-hmm. started this, so. And it made me reflect and just appreciate that much more. My instant thoughts were, of course, like, oh, man, this guy's doing this, this director's doing it. But, yeah, it's just yeah. a cool, subtle reminder that this is the starting point. I, I do like, though, I feel like I've never seen this, where it is kind of like a book. If you notice every chapter, the first, like, three parag- uh, three sentences yeah. was, like, setting the stage, sort of like a play. So. Yeah, literally. Mm-hmm. And they even had, like, a little chapter narration that books don't really do anymore. That was super cool. Yeah. I like the... Um, so I think most of this movie takes place in either house, houses or like outside a little like a little bit. But there wasn't like a lot of establishments. But there were like two or three that I thought were great. Um, I think the hospital is, is great because it was like... Once again, it was like you couldn't tell if it was the 50s or the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite thing was the ice cream shop that he brought Gwyneth Paltrow to mm-hmm. in the end of the movie. And it just seemed like, I don't know, it just seemed so, it seemed like Disney World. Mm -hmm. And like, this was their world. I love directors that create their own world or a weird spinoff of their world. And it's just, I thought that was great set design, great. She was ordering some crazy ice cream dish that Mm -hmm. I've never heard of. And Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it's a fantasy that he's built. I don't know where the ice cream shop was, but there is an ice cream shop like that for our New York listeners. Um, it's in Forest Hills. It's near 71st Street. It's called Eddie's, like, ice cream shop, and it's old like that. Like, Mm. you go inside, and they have, like, the old ice cream, the old pieces. Don't know if you can go there now in the time of corona, but, um, and they would have all the classic dishes, banana split, something like that, Mm. so. Yeah, yeah. Get all nostalgic with it. But yeah, what I was going to say was, um, it was really great to hear Alec Baldwin's voice, because he has a really great voice for narration. Him and the last movie we watched with Willem Dafoe and Vox Lux. And then you got Morgan Freeman, which is a classic narrator, the voice mm-hmm. of God. Um, who else is like top, top Hollywood mm. narrator? Um, um, the voice of Darth Vader. Oh, James Earl? James Earl Jones. Yeah, I think he's done some narration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great voice. Who 
else has a really good... There's a lot of people, yeah. I think if you have a distinctive voice, a good baritone, mm-hmm. you're in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, classic. That's it for me. Okay. Yeah, let me... All right, let's talk ratings. I love Royal Tenenbaums. I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. Four. Let's, for the positives, I love the style, I love the color, and I really do like the characters. I've said it before, I love a boring movie. Um, and I think movies like this are really good to watch over and over again because you do catch something different, and I paid attention to something different. But I take away half a star for problematic portrayal of the lack of people of color in New York. How could it be? And I didn't go into depth about this, but one question that wasn't answered for me, I may have missed it, was what made Royal such an awful husband? Did they just have to do with the kids? Like I wanted more into who Royal is as a character because you get a lot of, um, you get his... Like, you react to him based on the way the characters surrounding him react, but you don't actually know what motivates him and why he treated his family like that. And I think maybe that's another movie for another day. Yeah. Yeah, I think this was just like a slice of the portion of the Tenenbaums family. So it wasn't like a whole overarching, we get extremely good background. Wes Anderson only gave us snippets of everyone's lives from the past and present. So yeah, we got more of the kids than mm-hmm. Ethel and Royal. Yeah, for sure. Even though I would like to see Royal, that's a good point. Oh, I forgot to talk about that, but <laughs> sorry. What's up? My favorite part is all those little moments that they mention when they mention why um, Margot's finger was cut off, and then they reveal later what happened. It was so mysterious in the beginning, but then it turned out to be a really like quote-unquote boring explanation that she only told to the kids even though she's super secretive she had no problem telling the kids Mm. about the origins and everyone else she just didn't tell yeah yeah very interesting character Mm -hmm. bill murray too i I think we we saw we not talk about him we've been 30 (laughs) minutes in the pod and (laughs) i know this is an all-star cast yeah most of the movies we watch yeah i think all of them except kind of astro not so much yeah um but I think that also speaks to the fact that he wasn't that big of a player in this mm-hmm. movie. And he's been a big player in a lot of um, Anderson films, but in this film, I think he kind of took a backseat. He was just did his yeah. job, and that was it. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say four out of five. I think just because this is like the goat film mm-hmm. for that genre, so I'm all about it. Mm-hmm. I think one other little tidbit I liked the best part was. Whenever someone had like a publication or a book, they had the little slate for it and yeah. it looked like an old 1970s Newsweek type mm-hmm. of thing. And the title, everything was so thoughtful. Like the, the, the way they wrote the titles, they went, the, the copy they used. So even like the, the, that short scene where they had the tennis match they were playing at, and they were like, <laughs> oh, he took a sock and shoe off. What's going on yeah, here? Yeah, yeah, That so was Wes just... Anderson's voice, by the way. Oh, really? Okay. Um, well, bonus. The two. Uh, announcers mm-hmm. and then in the beginning with the library book that was Wes Anderson's hands okay cool, cool little, little cameo a little <laughs> for this guy. cool so at Astra I actually was eyeing this movie for a while this mm-hmm. is before it even came out because the listeners know or you definitely know I love the sci-fi I love the emotional sci-fi movies not just a bunch of space wars and aliens mm-hmm. so this is my this is kind of right up my alley um, and it's not necessarily romantic love, but more of 
find you lost love through family. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was the catalyst of this movie. I knew it was going to be a bit of a, a slow burn. Um, it turned out to Don't be say. more of a slow burn than I thought. <laughs> I, I watched, this is the second time I watched it. Uh, yeah, my thoughts are the same. But um, yeah, more or less this film is about, uh, it takes place about 30, 40 years in the future. And it's a little more modern. It's more grasp, graspable. That's not a word. It's more tangible for the audience because it's not too much technology introduced that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's something that does help out the viewers. And it's basically uh, Brad Pitt is looking for his father. And he went missing in space. There was an incident with um, an actual tragedy with Earth, let's say. And his father might have the clue for this. But a lot of this was uh, Brad Pitt's character finding reconciliation for the fact that his father has been missing for 19 plus years and maybe not giving him the best childhood. Um, he also wrestles with issues with his ex-wife not having much connection and there's always this constant aspect of checking his emotions so it's a it's a huge emotional journey and um we'll walk you through it yeah i gotta admit that that's a really good point that you make um the distinction between like typical sci-fi movies like star wars for example versus like a christopher nolan um type of film which this fell into that category for me and the movie gravity with sandra bullock now, <clears throat> those, because I, so I didn't dislike Ad Astra, but I think because at this point in my movie going experience, I have seen countless space movies and I'm waiting for them to give me something different. And Ad Astra did kind of give me something different because I felt like Interstellar really explored like that familial love, like Jessica Chastain's character, hmm. um, you know her father had gotten lost in space as well and so back on earth he's still kind of a hero where i think that tommy lee jones's character in ad astra he wasn't a hero like uh he was but because he was like losing his mind and he disconnected from you know his employers that they were kind of like yeah we have to bring your bad that dad back now because he's like going against like his orders yeah so to say so that's a conflict that brad pitt's character also has like I'm going after my dad who needs to be um, held accountable for his actions, but he also needs to be held accountable to me because he left me and didn't raise me, etc., etc. So I think that the movie did explore that, but I think for a movie that was only two hours long, it felt much longer. And I've watched a Scorsese film, you know, which mm -hmm. is usually like three hours long. So yeah. that's the only thing that I didn't love and the dialogue wasn't that great and I always look for that as a writer yeah yeah I think that I could do without Brad Pitt's monologues <laughs> or narration yeah it's just so poorly done it, I, it made me hate the movie more whenever I had to hear Brad Pitt's voice yeah. like oh my gosh yeah he's just not this isn't not his engaging. lane he shouldn't do this like he did that Terrence Malick film where he in Ter Terrence's movies you don't really talk there's no dialogue and you're just acting like you know out of this world and I just don't think he should do stuff like this because yeah. it doesn't play into his better qualities you right know what I mean I think he's a funny guy he's someone who's can do action mm -hmm. you know would be good for this movie maybe a Ryan Gosling putting up like a drive type of mm -hmm, performance mm -hmm. or uh, that other movie where he doesn't talk a lot Beyond the Pines or something. I don't know. Oh my god, yeah. So good. Yeah, Gosling is one of those guys who can do both. 
He's like a modern yeah. Brad Pitt. Yeah. In some ways, where you can do the romance, you can do some of the action. We can do these quiet, somber movies. Yeah. And he just fits the prototype, so... I'm trying to see who else would have been really good in this role, because I just don't... I think it was Brad for me. Hmm. Because he was the focus. But Gosling is a really good alternative. Yeah, really he is. Good. I want to see more of that. I don't like the Hollywood Gosling that much. The <laughs> notebook. Except for La La Land. Yeah, no. Uh, I didn't finish Drive. And also the the bad thing, speaking of Ad Astra, is that I watched it in part. So I've been trying to watch this movie. <laughs> I've been trying Uh-oh. to complete this movie. So I watched like the first hour and then I watched the second hour and then um, I watched them all together and I was just like, I just don't know why I'm not... It's not mm. resonating. What did resonate with me, though, was the cinematography. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think... So for me, I mean, I guess I talked about it earlier, too. I do love directors that create their own world. So I really mm-hmm. like this, like, five-minute scene on the moon where it's yeah. commercialized. And yeah. I think that's... It's indicative of how we are as a culture where it's like, we need something that's understandable to us. And of course, yeah. we would colonize the moon and put Burger King in there. <laughs> you know, we'd have escalators. We would have, like, a weird photo booth. Yeah. So I think that's a cool, just even like the space travel when they were flying, they had a commercial flight to the moon. Like right, that was super right. cool, and it was like flying an airplane. Yeah, and that makes more sense because whenever people do like these movies that are set in the future, they kind of act like the culture that dictates us today. They act like it doesn't it no longer exist. Like that problem gets solved. No, people are still going to be like, I want to take a selfie here. I want to yeah. do this. I want like yeah. commercial stuff. So mm-hmm. I did. That felt really human. So I'm glad you brought up that point. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was really cool. And I think I wrote this down too. There's a funny aspect where they Brad Pitt had to pay 125 dollars for a pillow and blanket. <laughs> it's yeah. like, of course, airlines would do that or, or moon lines. I mean, so. this is what Spirit Airlines is doing for anyone <laughs> right, who's right. ever taken a Spirit it's or a Frontier, Frontier flight. Yeah, yeah, pay to. <laughs> Fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about your safety. Facts, facts, oh, facts. Wow. Um, one thing about this movie, it felt very, I don't know if anyone has read 1984 mm. by George Orwell. It was like that, and I felt that way because every time he had to check in and make sure that his emotions were in check, his feelings were like very subdued, it felt like that. And then towards the end of the movie, the middle like right before he was gonna go for his father they like reevaluated him again they were like your heart rate is spiking like we could hear it and he failed the test and all of that i felt like oh my god this is just like the thought police i did love that element because in the future i only feel like with technology with surveillance and you know they're tracking us with cookies that they're only going to control the way we feel more and this is indicative of like cancel culture every time you say something it's like, oh, you're canceled because of this like thing you felt five years ago, even though you might have grown as a person. So mm. I really love when movies um, speak to that because that's where we're going as a culture. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. to be like a fascist. But... <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, hey, you can see it's evidence whether we see it or not subconsciously. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that is the the true sci-fi element of this movie. You right. Know, we, yeah, we get it. Okay, you're flying Mars. It's impossible. But what's actually possible? Also, this, you know, controlling yeah. this aspect, you know, ha- knowing our trends, knowing what we want to do and controlling how we, we should think and what we want to think. So it's, it's, it's scary. Talking about this now, I'm like, wait, did I actually like this movie? Because there are things, there are like elements <laughs> I kind of did really like about it. <laughs> I yeah. liked an hour of this movie. I'll say that. <laughs> um, oh, my favorite scene. Um, 
I don't even know it. I feel so basic. But when... Talk about it. In the beginning, when he first went to the moon and they were doing, like, this chase and there were, like, these moon pirates or whatever that were shooting and, like, killing them. So freaking beautiful like mm. i felt like the speed it was so simple it was just like you know it was like a wild wild west in space they replaced the horses with these like four by fours but i thought that was really beautiful because <laughs> i love an action movie like i uh-huh. would think an action movie or anything else so that really spoke to me <laughs> yeah for a movie that's so slow there was a lot of like high intensity scenes right like that was there no, I forgot about the monkey or the gorilla. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that was yeah. great. <laughs> that yeah. was a scary scene. And yeah, the card scene was good. It was yeah. good action. I didn't know who was going to die. I thought um, yeah. Donald Sutherland's character was maybe going to yeah. bite it. And he kind of did, I guess. But uh, um, A lot of good people in this film. Brad Pitt, Ruth Mega, Tommy Lee Jones, mm-hmm. Liv Tyler, Donald Sutherland. Yeah. Liv Tyler, homage to, what was that movie? Armageddon. Armageddon. I was, was going to say, say Andromeda. Andromeda screen. <laughs> yeah, that's the second time she's played a space wife. Mm-hmm. First one was Affleck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like characters, though, that, I like actors or actresses who only play roles in, like, a flashback scene. Right. And so, like, her was like that with, um, What's her character? Well, I forget the actress's name. Not Mooney Rana. Yeah, I was gonna Rooney say Mara. I was gonna say Naomi. Rapace. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was confused again. Second time. I mean, it's valid. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I like that. I just, especially when it's well known, you don't just get like any actress out there. And mm-hmm. you know, Tyler hasn't done too much the past ten years, but mm-hmm. you know, she had her her scene obviously nineties and early two thousands. So mm-hmm. it's cool to have bring her in and. I don't even think she said a word, but just no. kind of uh, being there and being that role for, for Brad Pitt. So Yeah, and I, I love that background because you got to see how because he's still holding on to like the issues with his dad, he's not really able to open himself to other people, to his wife, like he is supposed to in order to have a great marriage. So mm, Yeah, yeah, and that's part of the controlling aspect. It's almost like he can't be that emotional or emotionally invested because then, oh, I can't do my space job because that's too too much. So, And I think he even referenced that, that too. I think when they asked him, before he even took the mission, he was like, oh, yeah, I see that you're divorced, no children. He's like, yep, you know, this is the space industry. <laughs> Cowboys. Mm-hmm. It was very well. Speaking of the cowboy thing, because they do say space is like the final frontier, and then to have Tommy Lee Jones, who was in Men in Black, and, you know, he's done, I can't he's say. Done yeah, too. I think he has done yeah. like this. We'll put him in there. If not a Western, he's done some gunslinging movie, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so he was like the perfect, perfect character. And his character the depth of someone losing their mind in space and a lot of the times we only got his voice so we didn't always see his but i felt the emotion um and i thought that was a great performance brad pitt's not so much but his mm. performance was great ruth mega did pretty well as well yeah i think for me the the best uh i, I do like the reveal of tommy lee jones at the end of the movie because we were building up for it. Mm-hmm. The whole movie was. Yeah. And I think it, it didn't disappoint. There was yeah. there was some aspect where I think it was a little too blunt where he was like, yeah, you know, I didn't care about you and your mom. And it's like, we get that, but it's just, I feel like you could have That's, phrased that differently. Yeah. Like, that was kind of lazy writing. Yeah. Just like, you don't have to just bluntly say it. I wish yeah. there was some other subtle way. Not for the sake of the characters, but just for the sake of us watching the movie. Because we knew he was going to say that, but mm-hmm. it was just like, yeah, you find but a But it takes a us out way. of the movie when you just are so... 
it didn't feel natural to say it that bluntly because would you have said it that way if you hadn't seen someone in you know how many number of years yeah 20 plus years yeah, no like i mean you could i guess the other counter argument is that he is that insane where he just doesn't he lost all social norms true. and he's just like oh yeah you're here good let me tell you what i'm thinking but yeah. i i don't know as a viewer i would want to see something more subtly or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah, just, it was not as good but yeah um yeah I think he for his limited role, Tommy Jones, yeah. great, great job just there. And Donald Sutherland too, but he's always good. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> got some good old old white guys out there doing <laughs> playing their, getting their checks. <laughs> I know. But speaking of the characters, Natasha Lyons was also in this when he towards the end of the film when he was being reevaluated again. Natasha Lyons was sitting um, at the table. If you don't know her, she's in this really great Netflix series called Russian Doll. So, so good. Highly recommend. If you've watched every single thing else on TV during quarantine, watch Russian Doll because it's about like this time loop and, you know, things we don't pay attention to in life. Sidebar. Yeah, no, I thought that was funny. A good cameo, too. I don't know if I'd call it a cameo. Maybe it is, yeah. Yeah, sort of, right? Because I, I, I knew she was instantly and I have watched a few episodes of that. Also mm-hmm. kind of this... You did? Supernatural. Yeah, I like nice. it. I think I, I forgot why I stopped watching it, so maybe I didn't like it. But yeah. <laughs> I definitely watched the first few episodes. Um, but yeah, that was a cool cameo appearance for that. That I, I really like that station. I think for set design, mm-hmm. it was beautiful. It reminded me of like a Blade Runner or like like yeah. a Ex Machina. They had the red hallways, mm-hmm. the, the orange hues, mm-hmm. and then those um, what do they call them? Peace rooms or relaxation yeah. rooms. So. I, that, that's the, the sci-fi element I do like, just kind of this, uh, that's where I think it's the future, where it's like, oh, we're in 2030, 2040, when yeah, it's all yeah. this monochrome color. Yeah, so. and concrete and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did, speaking to the use of color, um, when he, uh, you know, got to his dad, the use of blue, you know, for sadness, oh, I felt mm. that, and I feel like it worked all together, because there was also a lot of darkness, a lot of shadows, and then we had the use of blue with the dad as well so i i love that element of the film um i don't know can't speak to whether or not the science holds up in the movie because i did notice um so i read a couple of articles um afterwards to see am i like missing something oh and one thing that they mentioned is that the film was there was a line in the film that he said about like uh going to see your creator not going to see your creator um your redeemer or something like that and then because they were like it wasn't just his search for his father but his search for the meaning and the purpose of his life did you get that from the film because this like critic wrote this entire article about and i was like i didn't get that (laughs) i don't know too much time in his hands (laughs) uh i didn't get that i think the i think it really is just him has to that's the annoying thing is i think it's the it's annoying that Brad Pitt wasn't able to express this, but it was more or less him just reconciling with the fact that, yeah, my dad left me, and I still have to go and kind of confront him. And there was a, a quote that I think I like where it says, he was like, I don't know if, if I want to find him just so I can finally be free of him. So there was this dilemma where it's like, would I, should I just keep my current reality, knowing that he's missing, we don't know why, or if I want to meet him, finally be like, all right, say your piece, and then kind of push you away and i think that's what happened where he literally did push him away he he you know timely jones didn't want to live yeah. and that was that and but yeah it's just i just wish there was more emotion involved and there was you know this idea of contain your emotions the whole movie but 
I, I don't know. I, as a viewer, I want to enjoy that aspect. Yeah. And this director didn't give me the opportunity to enjoy all this. So. Yeah. There was a lot left to your interpretation and imagination, I feel. So. Yeah. Ratings. Um, I don't think I'll ever watch this movie. <laughs> I mean, it's not, a, it's not a bad movie either, but I've seen it twice. I'm done. It's just too long. I'm good. Uh, Is there another space movie that you feel trumps this? Um, Interstellar is one of my top ten. I whew, I cried at the end of that movie. Yeah, it me was too. it was great. Um, I cried several times. Also, when um, Anne Hathaway, you know, when they were on the 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 water planet mm-hmm. and they were like are those mountains and they're like no those are waves and they're like running back to the ship and they had to leave another yeah member of the crew there and when he died i like cried and really like, yeah i cried I... at several points yeah and then the other i forgot the actor's name but he was stuck on the ship for like 19 years waiting for them to come back yeah yeah oh my gosh it was really beautiful like that's how you do both science and emotion mm-hmm. together and you make it interesting the score was great too. Oh, I listen to that every once in a while. Yes, it's it's a that has so much replay value. Yeah. I probably watch that once a year. I have a my old roommates and I used to watch it quite often. Yeah. It's just I feel like it definitely trumps Ad Astra, even Gravity. So every Ad Astra, you don't yeah. like Gravity? Oh my I, god! I love Clooney. I, let me tell you, I love George yeah. Clooney. I think he's one of the the greatest actors. Well, not the greatest actor, but I like <laughs> I like his movies. He knows how to pick a movie. Mm-hmm. But I don't like Gravity. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know. That's fine. <laughs> so you think I should bet over gravity? Uh, mm. No. Well, no. So I... Because <laughs> I do like the director of gravity. Uh, I know there's... Um, I don't know if it's... Was that Pedro? It's... Yeah, so it's like these Amador. three guys. It's either Alfonso or it's uh, the other one. I don't mean it like that. I think it was Alfonso Cuaron. Could be, yeah. Because it's, it's... There's like three me- very good Mexican directors and they're all boys <laughs> and they all make... Yeah, one of them did movies. that movie about the water, the the fish creature. Oh, yeah. What the heck was that uh, called? I, nah, that one, too, which was insane. <laughs> I think I won an Oscar for Best Picture. That <laughs> one, no part of that movie. Sorry, movie was it weird. was the... Yeah, no, it was weird. That oh, was another movie that. that, if you don't know what it's about, when you go to watch it, you're going to be very disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> Come out there. Yeah, it was Alfonso Cuaron, Dick okay. Gravity, with Sandra Bullock. I think I love the film He's because it made my heart, like, elevate. I was, like invested on the edge of my seat when she was crashing towards the earth i even forgot clooney was in it so when you mentioned that i was like mm. he looks like and then i was like yeah i think she's made <laughs> check citizen real quick that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, hilarious ed harris was in that Oof. no it's a great movie um yeah i mean but those three directors are fantastic i can't speak more about them the revenant uh, Birdman. I didn't even see Revenant yet. Yeah, the movie was actually filmed with no external lighting, so they literally filmed the entire thing with just daylight. What? Yeah. The challenge. I know. Whoa. So, but um, yeah. The Shape of good. Water. Sorry, oh, The Shape gosh. of Water. <laughs> Micah's favorite film, clearly. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet, so I don't want to say, but I, I, I'm not going to, so. <laughs> I encourage you because it's got like a love element and I know you kind of like that. I do. So that we can talk talk about that. 92% about on Rotten Tomatoes, The Shape of Water. 
But honestly, you must have paid someone. Yeah, I think you should watch it because it's also like, have you seen the movie Big Fish? I did. That movie's weird though. I, it is weird. I, That's good. Weird. It is. I think I watched it when I was like ten years old in an airplane. No. Yeah. <laughs> Little kids would not. Oh, I was freaked out. I forget yeah. why. It was too much. I mean, he went through the forest and had all those scary things, but that was like Snow White when she was running through the forest and all of the trees and things came to okay. life. So, but yeah, okay. Review for ratings for Ad Astra. Um. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a two point five only because I did mm. like I did like the moon scene and I do like the set design. And that was it. Yeah. I'm also going to give it a 2.5. Similar reasons. I feel like there is a lot to digest. But for me, a movie's replay value is super important. And if it doesn't have a lot of that, what am I going off of? Mm. Yeah. Very fair. Yeah, let's go to Family Stone. One of my favorite movies. I watch this twice a year. He's like, my cousin, like, okay. Okay. And I, I like this genre. I kind of like the mid-2000s mm-hmm. rom-coms. Like, I'll watch a 27 dress every once in a while. Really? I didn't, you like that? Not really. What movie I like? I like um, The Proposal with uh, Sandra Bullock and Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. <laughs> so, like, I do like this family inner drama things. I find it fun. That's why I really like it. Okay, so Family but. Stone is basically about this really close-knit family... Um, they're also dysfunctional, but they've got an eclectic mix of personalities. They've got this really close mom and dad, the patriarch and matriarch of the family. And then they just have like a slew of kids that are all very different. One is very tight knit. He works in the corporate world. Then they have a daughter who's kind of a slacker who seems like she never left home. Then you have Luke Wilson, which is also in this film too. Hated him. So we've got Luke Wilson double feature. Um, and then who else is in it? The other son, then you have the, the gay son, the gay deaf son who had a very interesting scene. And you have Sarah Jessica Parker also in Trash. the movie. Trash. <laughs> but then you have a rom-com king from my best friend's wedding, Mr. Dylan McDermott. McDermott Dylan. I think it's Dylan Mulrooney. I, I'm butchering names. I usually get them right, so forgive me. <laughs> but um, basically, it's just like he brings... Oh, and then how could I forget another rom-com queen? Diane. Diane who? Keaton. Oh, Diane Keaton, yes. Oh, Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. Oh my God, a lot of rom-com. Because I was going to say Claire Danes, who was in uh, Romeo Uh, and Juliet. mm -hmm. All that good stuff. Wow, Mm -hmm. I love an all-star cast movie, so that's why I like this. And then I also love movies that are like deeply about family. And it's about even if you are dysfunctional as an individual and then dysfunctional as a collective, everyone still loves you no matter what. So, the family stone. Mm. Go on, Micah, tell me, what was your initial reaction? You're having strong emotional... Oh, <laughs> I hate this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> <sighs> it was... The pacing was so off. Mm-hmm. It was... Oh, it's thrown into the movie. Usually there's a little bio, like, you know, sometimes even a little narration, like, mm-hmm. oh, Sarah Jessica Parker is a corporate lawyer. I hate from, narration. No, I need that. <laughs> from, you know, Long Island does this. And I, I didn't get that. I was just thrown into this this immediate Christmas environment. And it just kept on going. And then, all, oh, everyone hates this character. Why? We don't know. Because she's annoying AF. Yeah, I, I mean, she is. But it's just, there was not enough character development to determine that we hate this person. Mm-hmm. I feel like I 
the start of the movie feels like it should have been I, I was watching it for 20 minutes straight mm-hmm. so like it just dropped me in this movie and I was already just discharged because of it yeah I do feel like you know rom-coms have very they're very formulaic mm-hmm. they have you know either a woman who's a shrew and the really fun loving you know Adam Sandler type mm-hmm. who was Luke Wilson in this movie and you have the woman trying to get that person to relax in this movie have this like you know she's she's really uptight she's also made her fiance uptight and then his family is like super lax and they clash over and over again but then she was also being extremely problematic until the very end of the movie which made me cry but i do feel like sarah jessica parker's character was over top over the top extreme um just not even likable i don't even know why her fiance would like her um (laughs) you know before he like why would he choose her even though he was you know a suit wearing kind of guy you could tell his personality came through and he was also very fun and she just was not so that was the worst part about the movie but my favorite part was like um, Rachel McAdams and uh, Luke Wilson because I just I'll watch anything that he's in literally anything <laughs> like wow. I he's not even like a really strong like distinctive character but I've watched old school he's in Legally Blonde um you know we were just he was just in a Wes Anderson movie so I really like him the youngest Wilson but yeah, I just really like this movie. <laughs> and I love Christmas movies. That's another reason why okay. I'm a sucker for a Christmas movie. Just just reel me in. <laughs> All right. My favorite Christmas movie is the one with, um, is it Jack Black and uh, Charlie Stairzone and like, <gasps> oh, what is it called? The one the, where they, they, they trade? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um... Who's in there? Kate Winslet and Jude Law. Jude Law, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Switch. I think it's The Switch. Could be that, but I remember, yeah. That was great. I, I haven't actually watched that one many times, Okay. it is a good one. That's a good one. Jack Black was kind of serious, right? He was. He still had his personality, but he wasn't his extreme goofiness, so that's Is that a good your one. favorite Christmas movie? Yeah, I guess so. I don't want to say the prototypical, um, what's the Mariah Carey one? Oh, she's not in it, but the song's in it. Oh, um, Love Actually. Yeah, Love Actually. Oh my God. To review that. <laughs> okay, we can review it. We can review it. It's been a while since I watched it. And like our friend Shruti, shout out to Shruti, has been requesting that we do oh, rom-com really? episodes. So oh, you're right, we'll yes. do that. We'll do that. Okay, we can love actually. Yeah, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you like anything about Family Stone? So, um, I didn't like the. Um, I wasn't a big fan of slapstick humor, but it's part of that time, the early 2000s. And they were falling in the food. Yeah, I, I really don't like food. Like, I don't mind slapstick, <laughs> but when you start, I get gas. I get, like, literally nauseous. I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it was, funny. You do hate slapstick humor in movies because you said that about Moulin Rouge, too. Yes. Like, oh, my God. Get to the point. <laughs> um, we're going to uh, review the Three Stooges with Micah. Nope. <laughs> I'm gone. I'm absent for that one. <laughs> Um, I so I like Rachel McAdams a lot. I like her just in general as an actress. I think she's really good. So I do like every scene that involved her. She did. She's never done anything like this before. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Wedding Crashers. But she was more subdued in that. But yeah. She was in Time Travel's Wife. I think. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, never been like 
this non-girly, disheveled mm-hmm. sort of character. Yes, she usually has. I mean, she's Regina George, right? She's Mean yeah. Girls. Yeah, yeah. I forget that. Which you for, yeah, and she, I'm sure forget. she's glad people forget that, too. <laughs> Although I feel like it's a good role, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. I forget about that. Yeah. Um, so I do like her. I Diane like... Keaton's character was good too. I was going to say mom. that too. I thought she was incredible. I mean, she's a great actress, obviously from the old Annie Woody, Hall Woody Allen days. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> problematic. Um... Yeah. <laughs> problematic. But um, yeah. So I, I did like those. I thought there were very strong acting performances there. Um, yeah. Just I don't know. It just didn't. It was just. Th- it was just too fast for me. Yeah. I couldn't tell. I couldn't catch on to the plot. I knew what was happening, but it was just there wasn't enough development for every scene. And yeah. There was just I, I couldn't I couldn't focus because it was all yeah. over the place. And too many. Mom was oh. sick. A yeah. Lot was happening. A lot happened. Too many characters too. I think they could have got rid of one or two brothers or sisters. <laughs> we don't need that many. Micah comes from a small family. <laughs> <laughs> I do. So maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah. No. I think also the dad. I forget his name. Which mm-hmm. is really bad, but he's Mr. Incredible. You know that? I did not know that. Yeah, that's the Mr. Incredible dad. He okay. plays opposite Holly Hunt and Mr. Incredible. Wow, good for um, Yeah, he has a really good deep voice, too. Yeah. Um, I think it's just like my expectations are so lowered. And then I kind of love a messy house because I have four younger siblings on my dad's side and four younger siblings on my mom's side. So I come from that. And then my parents also have a lot of siblings. So when you go in the house, you're crawling over cousins, you're crawling over aunts and uncles. And I get a lot of that too. Um, and I always feel like the outsider in my family sometimes just because on either side of my family, I'm not like enough of whatever they are. Like my mom is very Haitian. I'm not Haitian enough. Everyone speaks Creole. I don't. And then on my dad's side of family, I'm not American enough. (laughs) So because I grew up super sheltered. So you get that in this movie, but I also feel like they all kind of accept each other. And this is going to sound like super creepy, but I love when I watch movies with actors that I know really well and then I see them interacting as siblings and they're like hitting each other and pushing each other and it felt I felt like that performance was super natural. So mm. Yeah, it's a good point. I did kinda of like that. Like Luke Wilson was very playful, like smacking people. Yeah, you and... see he's always like Yeah. I'll give you that. I think Luke Wilson is, is has his spots for that. Mm-hmm. Um But there was a lot going on. Then you had the the brother it was the most mm. uncomfortable scene, but it was my favorite scene at the table um when sarah jessica parker was like yeah but uh oh i forgot what diane keen said i think she said yeah um i wanted a gay son and sarah jessica parker there's no way you could have wanted a gay son first of all that was unnatural i don't think anyone who's as polite as sarah jessica parker is would have said that correct me if i'm wrong but like she comes from like a more like if she's coming from the city like she kind of knows proper yeah, you know, etiquette you know better right social cues yeah and, and so it did seem extremely out of character yeah it was very cringe but <laughs> I, I, cringe. I know i knew they were trying to make a point with it so i stuck with it yeah but um and i think it's a good statement too because this movie came out maybe i think like 2005 mm-hmm. and i'm sure that was I mean, it's very taboo back then mm-hmm. so i think this movie was trying to um break the ice on that situation so it was difficult to watch but mm-hmm. um necessary and i so i've never really seen sarah jessica parker Je- sarah jessica parker in anything mm-hmm. obviously i know she's the sex in the city girl yeah. but she was in girls 
Just Wanna Have Fun, which is an 80s movie inspired by the Madonna song. And then she hasn't really done a whole lot either. Mm-hmm. I have seen it, but I'm, nothing is like coming to mind right now. She's another. She did a Matthew McConaughey movie failure to, to launch. launch. Oh, yeah, I like that right. movie. I forgot about that. You know who's in there? Um, what's his name? Uh, Bradley Cooper. It's like one of oh his my God, first yeah. roles in that movie. Yeah, that was one of his first. Yeah. Zoe Deschanel was also in there, mm-hmm. and the guy from um, that What Happens in Vegas movie with Bradley. Oh, he was in that too. The, yeah, the one getting the one getting married. The hangover. Yeah, the hangover. Yeah, the the guy that was getting yeah. married was also in this. He played like that weird friend. Uh huh. Wow, failure to long. I just watched that a couple months ago, but it's very fresh in my mind. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. forgot she was in that. She, yeah. She has good acting dynamics in there. She is a good comedic actress. Mm-hmm. What else has Miss SJP done? Yeah. She's a household name, but it's just I feel like she hasn't done a, a major film recently. Oh, and... heck no. Because, like, she's still living. She was Hocus Pocus. She's still living on Sex and the City. Yeah. Oh, my God. I forgot she was in Footloose. She was in Footloose? Is that with Patrick Swayze? No. Um, what am I thinking of? Kevin Bacon. Okay. But close, because the other movie. Ghost? Yes. <laughs> and. Bum, bum, bum. Bailando. Dirty oh, Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Vanna Nights. That yeah, was the yeah, sequel, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, she hasn't actually done a whole lot. Wow. you Because we just know her. I think it's just Sex and the City. Right. Surprisingly enough. But in any case, yeah. Um, oh my gosh, my least favorite part of the movie. And when I think about the movie, I just kind of keep this out of my mind. But her sleeping with Luke Wilson and then her fiance falling for Claire Danes. I just really don't like that. It's triggering. Mm, talk <laughs> this about it. This has happened to me, but I just hate when movies do that. Like, you would never be friends with your ex that slept with your brother, like, before telling you. Yeah. I think it was too quick, too, the fact that, like, she just arrived that day, and <laughs> all of a sudden, he falls in love with her, and she was kind of into it, because there's that scene where... She got back to her room mm-hmm. and she like refused his advances. Yeah. And then she heard a knock on the door and then you saw her face light up. And so she's like, mm, you know, maybe it is homeboy. <laughs> it's like, how do you guys know this? That's your own sister you're about to cheat on. I know. And there's just so many spicy, problematic issues that would not happen in a span of 24 hours. Yeah, so. it's like control yourself. Christmas is coming. <laughs> this is not the meaning of Christmas. It's not the holiday <laughs> spirit. Right, right. So, but talk about Claire Danes always being that. There's this joke about Jennifer Love Hewitt that when in the '80s and '90s, every time she walks in a room, there's slow mo and the fl- the fans are blowing. This is like Claire Danes too. Every time she's like, ah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does she, have that angelic. Mm-hmm. So, what are you reading for it? Um. Because there's not a lot of music to critique. That's actually something I wrote down. What? There was like no music. I know. There, there were. Lacking a soundtrack. They had some Christmas music, obviously, but mm-hmm. there were parts of the movie where I felt like there should have been music. Yeah. And there, there wasn't. And was, she did do karaoke when she was at like the bar, the bar with Rachel McAdams' cop friend that she had a crush on. Who's a Parks and Rec guy. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay. He is a face that I know, but I like don't know his name, don't mm-hmm. know where I saw him. So, yeah, classic. I need to watch, I need to watch that because everyone tells me to. Um, yeah, there was just none of that. None of that. Mm-hmm. 
doesn't change. I love it. All right. Personal love movie. <laughs> there is no, like, incredible, like, shots. There is no, like, super... Just my favorite part um, is at the end when she finally has a moment to redeem herself. She gives the picture of the mom to mm. all of the kids. And I bawled. I mean, I cry at Disney movies. Like, literally, my goddaughter is like, are you crying? <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was my favorite part because I just love... I think I, that's why I like dysfunctional family movies because they break you apart to come back together in the end. And mm. then it's like, it's a wonderful life. Yeah. <laughs> sure. In, in theory. Yeah, I, I think my favorite dysfunctional family movie like that or that dynamic is probably Cheaper by the Dozen. I don't know if you've seen that with Steve Martin, yeah, Hilary Duff. Yeah. Old movie. Oh, it is old. I've, yeah. I think I did watch it once, but I don't remember it at all. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, the concept similar thing. This guy has, like, 12 kids, and they all are crazy. <laughs> so I do like that concept, but... Other yeah. good dysfunctional family media, like TV shows, I think people should really watch. Parenthood, so good. I've heard good things. Haven't seen it. So good. It's, like, really well written, too. Like, the modern-day one, because it's a remake of... Um, an even older one and then brothers and sisters is really good and then of course this is us yeah <laughs> yeah another crier if you want to cry every single episode watch Grey's anatomy and this is us okay thank me later <laughs> <laughs> so ra- rating uh i'm gonna give it a one out of five i thought Ow! i'm sorry i know you love this movie it's okay it's okay <laughs> but yeah it's not it's yeah i don't have to tell you it's, it's okay <laughs> Good, good. At, the redeeming factor is they did have a great cast. You have a lot of good players in there. Mm-hmm. For me, five out of five. <laughs> five out of five all-star cast, breaking you apart. It has every single king and queen of the rom-com is in this. Mm. Um, I just, I told you I'll watch anything with Luke Wilson in it. Literally, I'll, I'll watch him read the phone book. Also... <laughs> Yeah, Look, no, I really, I really, really love a lot it. Of things. It's not, it's not even like it's just something about him. He's so everyday guy, and then I just love a Christmas movie. It doesn't mm. get better than Christmas. Christmas is the most wonderful time of year. I wish every day was Christmas. Oh, so yeah. All right. It. Are you gonna do your outro? No, I'm gonna use the same one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hey all thanks for tuning in for another episode of 100% Real. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and at our handles at jasmineskyde.png and under Micah Perella, Ella, Ella.